Today on the Matt Wall Show, a public school teacher declares that our parental rights don't exist when we send our children to public school. It was a rare moment of honesty, and we can learn a lot from it. Meanwhile, parents in a different school district were forced to file a police report against a teacher who distributed pornographic material to the middle school students in her classroom. Also, the pro-life activist whose home was raided by the FBI is finally speaking out, and his story is quite harrowing. John Fetterman struggles to string together even one coherent sentence, and Kamala Harris, who also struggles in that regard, proves that although she is a proponent of gender ideology, she has no idea what it is. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. If you have a family like I do, you already have plenty of things to worry about. In a worst case scenario, you wouldn't want them to worry about money, you know, if the worst thing were to happen. We all hope that we'll never need life insurance, but mortgage payments, childcare, and other expenses don't disappear when you're gone. A good life insurance plan can give you a peace of mind that if something does happen to you, your family will have a safety net so they can get back on their feet and focus on what's important in life. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. If you already have uh, coverage through work, then employer-sponsored life insurance may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it won't follow you if you leave your job. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price at the same time. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week, and they avoid unnecessary medical exams at the same time. Policy Genius's licensed agents can help you find coverage options in as little as a week. They work for you, not the insurance companies. There are no added fees. Your personal information is private, and it's very easy to do. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The media this week has presented us with two tragic stories of teachers who've been targeted and set upon by mobs of book-burning conservatives. These are teachers, the media says, who wanted nothing, nothing more than to increase diversity and representation in the classroom. They are pure-hearted educators with the most innocent of intentions. And now they've fallen victim to right-wing radicals, or, or so the story goes, anyway. But as usual, if you read just a little bit deeper into the details, a very different kind of story emerges. So let's start with the middle school teacher named Sarah Bonner, who has now uh, quit teaching. She's been she's uh, been chased out of the teaching profession altogether because of a controversy that began back on March 13th of this year when she decided to have what she calls a book tasting. This was a book tasting event for her students, who again are all middle schoolers. NBC reports, quote, I wanted to give them a smattering of fiction and nonfiction to choose from on a day that we call Reading Monday, Bonner42 told Today.com. We just read and celebrate books. One of those books was Juno Dawson's This Book is Gay. It's a best-selling nonfiction book that's billed by its publisher as an entertaining and informative instruction manual for anyone coming out as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans. Quote, by Wednesday, I received notice that parents had gotten a hold of pictures from the book that their child had taken in the class. Bonner says, by Friday... I was told that parents had filed a police report against me for child endangerment. The notion that I was putting children in danger because of books, I didn't feel safe, Bonner says. I knew I couldn't go back. So she didn't feel safe. She provided this content to kids. Uh, parents were upset about it. And now she's unsafe. She's the victim. And uh, she is, is now no longer teaching. Her book tasting featured the book called This Book is Gay, which... Um, is indeed an instruction manual, but it's not just an instruction manual for anyone who wants to come out, quote unquote. It's an instruction manual on how to actually engage in gay sex. It describes and encourages and teaches many different kinds of homosexual acts. It is a how-to manual for the homosexual acts themselves. In fact, it's so graphic that I can't show you the pictures or provide more details. Like, I, I, there's, there's not a lot I can say to even describe what is in this book that was provided to middle schoolers. And that's one of the advantages that the uh, degenerate groomers have in this conversation. It's that the stuff they're putting in front of kids is so disgusting that the rest of us, when we're talking about it, we either can't or don't want to go into detail. And so then they, the groomers, can always say, oh, you're exaggerating. It's not that bad. I will mention only one specific item, which I think should give you an accurate impression of what the rest of the book is all about. 
Um, this book is gay, uh, provide, uh, provides a glossary, or as they put it, a cheat sheet at the end of the book. And um, one of the helpful terms that they mention and define in the glossary refers to, and I quote here, eating poop. So that's something that's covered in the book. If you're wondering just how sick and depraved and graphic this thing gets, well, I think that should give you a pretty good idea. And this is the kind of material that Sarah Bonner provided to her middle school students, which means the kids were somewhere between the ages of 11 and 14. Now, now was it, was it reasonable for the parents to file a police report in response? Yes, absolutely. Exposing children to pornographic material is a crime, and that's what this book is. It doesn't suddenly become less of a crime just because the adult is a teacher. It doesn't become less of a big deal or less of a problem just because the adult who's providing the material is a teacher. If anything, that only makes it worse, not better. And all you have to do is imagine this kind of scenario outside of a classroom, and you can clearly see that Bonner didn't just act inappropriately, but criminally. So um, imagine, for example, um, a strange man coming up to your child on the playground with a bunch of drawings and, and diagrams trying to teach him about sodomy. Okay, what if a strange man went up to your kid on the playground and had a, a, you know, a notebook with all kinds of drawings and charts and everything and wanted to talk to your kid about uh, gay sex? Would you, would you be a closed-minded, book-burning Nazi if you forcefully intervened and said, get the hell away from my child, you freak? Who do you think you are? And maybe, you, uh, there, maybe there are some other ways for you to communicate that message to him um, as well. Would you be in the wrong? Well, no. No, quite the opposite. You would be neglectful and weak if you didn't forcefully intervene. There is no difference between a strange adult broaching these subjects on the playground outside of the school or in a room inside the school. There is no difference. In either case, it is sexual harassment of a child. It is grooming. And it doesn't become less, less uh, of a problem just because you do it in the classroom. A little more from NBC. It says, Bonner says that she understands parents know their children best and believes that both parents and educators have that love and care in common. Quote, the difference is that I have that love and care for all students, not just a singular student, she adds. In regards to the book that was challenged in my classroom, it was a message to the LGBTQ plus community in my room and in my district that they are less than. Okay, first of all, uh, it's important to, to say that, um, no, you don't as the teacher, we, we don't have, if my child is in your classroom, we do not have love for my child in common. I love my child, okay? I love all of my children. I would, I would die for them, okay? I would jump in front of a bus for them without hesitation. Um, I love them more than, than, than my own life. That is not how you would feel about my children because they're not your children. So no, we don't have this. Oh yeah, we both love your kid. No, that's... that's, that's uh, if, if that's the case, we are using the word love in the broadest and most meaningless way possible. There is, at a minimum, you know, a distinct difference between the love that a parent has for his own child and the love that just people have for other people in general. That's a kind of charitable love that we're all called to love people in general. It's not the same as the love that I have for my child as a parent. And that's an important point. Because this is a comparison. You know, they, they, they want to claim that, oh, yeah, I love your child just as much as you do, if not more. Which, gives, which, which they think gives them the moral authority to you know, do whatever they want. So according to this groomer teacher, the only way to treat the LGBT, quote unquote, LGBTQ plus community equally is to sexualize and groom children. Now, you notice something else, that there is no heterosexual person um, demanding this sort of thing on the other side, okay? We're, we're, not, um, we're not asking for classrooms to provide graphic descriptions of straight sex or how-to manuals on the subject. We're not asking for that. LG, LGBT activists claim that exposing children to pornographic content 
is the only way to ensure inclusion and equality. But in, inclusion in what? Equal in what way? What we want is for all sexual instruction to be removed from the classroom completely. Kids do not go to government educational facilities to learn how to have sex, or at least that's not why they should be there. Human reproduction should be covered in biology class at the appropriate age, but aside from that, um, none of this stuff should come up. As I've said before, I don't even want abstinence taught in the schools. I'm not advocating for an abstinence-only sex ed education because now that would certainly be much better. That'd be a much better alternative to the left to the left's preferred strategy of instructing children on the fine details of every sort of depraved fetish, but it still would not be ideal because the most ideal scenario is that the schools teach neither how to have sex or how to not have it. Okay, I don't want any of the how-tos. These are not appropriate or relevant conversations for adults to be having with, with rooms full of children. The other con groomer controversy this week comes to us from Florida, where, as the media has it, a teacher is under investigation for showing a Disney movie to her class. Um, but it wasn't just any Disney movie. She chose to show the one that revolves around a gay main character. And the movie is called uh, Strange World. You probably heard about it when it came out because it's supposed to be a big deal. This is the first uh, Disney animated show or movie with a, with a you know, lead character who's gay. And it was a massive flop in the theaters, thanks not only to the wokeness factor, but also due to the fact that it was a bad movie, largely panned by, by critics who were sympathetic to its ideological leanings. But even most of the critic, critics had to admit, it's just a bad movie. It's not a good movie. Um, but that is the one that fifth grade teacher Jenna Barbie decided to show to her class in direct violation of state law banning instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity. This clearly is a violation of that. Now, we should note that she also violated her basic responsibilities as a teacher by, by wasting class time with a Disney movie in the first place. And she's certainly not the first teacher to employ this method, which is, which is yet another reason to homeschool. Okay, you'll be, uh, forgetting about the, the content of the films for a moment, you'll be shocked to discover that um, kids actually don't need six hours a day of classroom instruction. School only lasts that long because they fill half the schedule with busy work and movies and that kind of thing. But the teacher, Jenna Barbie, uh, appeared on CNN yesterday to defend herself and make her case. And there's one moment towards the end of this clip that you should really pay attention to. Um, here it is. And Jenna, you've said you feel that this is a targeted attack. What do you mean when you say that? Um, this, that same school board member is currently going around right now trying to, well, along with, you know, the whole, what DeSantis is doing, trying to get rid of all basically diversity elements out of schools completely. Like they're trying to strip individuality and diversity to fit one common agenda and it's ruining everything. It's not what America stands for. I think let's let our viewers listen to what that parent said um, that complained uh, about you doing this in, in a recent school board meeting. Here it is. It is not a teacher's job to impose their beliefs upon a child. Religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above. But allowing movies such as this assist teachers in opening a door. And please hear me. They assist teachers in opening a door for conversations that have no place in our classrooms. We had played that for the viewers in the introduction, but I just want to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, so that's what she's missing and what these parents are missing is they're not in the school system. That that just shows me that she's ignorant and has not come and volunteered at all because our, these conversations, these doors, they're open. These students have one-to-one -one devices. The amount of things that they're able to pull up that we have to shut down, they, they, these conversations, these doors that she's talking about, that telling me I'm stripping her rights as a parent, those rights are gone when your child's in the public school system because there are students talking about these things. It's where they get 90% of their socialization for the day. And we can't shut down every conversation every child has. Well, there it is. Two revealing statements, actually. First, she says that kids are already talking about inappropriate things, so the teachers might as well join in. Now, she's, of course, ignoring the fact that the kids did not invent these concepts. Um, they didn't come up with uh, gender fluidity and transgenderism and whatever weird fetishes and proclivities teachers like Jenna want incorporated into the curriculum. The kids didn't come up with this stuff. These things and ideas were invented before the kids existed, and then they were introduced to the kids by adults. 
And if there's any particular kid who had a concept like transgenderism introduced to them by another kid, that certainly happens as well. But where did that kid get it? I mean, eventually this comes from the adults who came up with this stuff. Essentially, Jenna is arguing that because the kids have already been sexually indoctrinated, she might as well continue sexually indoctrinating them. And even if this did all originate with the kids themselves, which it didn't, this teacher would then be admitting admitting that the inmates run the asylum. That's, that's her argument. That the, you know, the, the kids are in charge. They, as the teachers, follow the lead of the kids that they're supposed to be teaching. Now, I don't think that's what's actually happening here. The kids are ultimately following the lead of the school system, which is where many of these ideas are introduced. But, but even if she's right, it is not a great advertisement for the public school system. An even worse advertisement is the last thing she said, uh, where she said that your parental rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. They're gone. Rarely do we hear it stated so plainly or so accurately. Because she is correct, of course. Your parental rights are gone, or at least effectively gone, when your kid is in the public school system. They are rendered impotent, useless. They are defanged and declawed by the public school system. You still have your fundamental natural rights as a parent. Okay, I believe that those rights, that's a real thing that you have, but you have no way of defending or enforcing those rights when your kid is in a government indoctrination center. So you might have them. It might be a right that you have, but you know, you're, you're over here and the kid is inside that building for six hours a day, uh, five days a week. And so you can have all the rights that you want. It, it, it's, it, there's a disconnect. Okay, there's been a, a severing has happened between you and your kid. Your parental rights exist in the abstract. They exist as a concept, as a spiritual reality, I guess. But in all other ways, you effectively forfeit them by handing your child over to the government for his moral and intellectual formation, which is what education is. Education is moral and intellectual formation or deformation, as the case may be. She couldn't be more right about that. I agree 100%. And I'm, I'm very glad that she said that particular quiet part out loud because uh, we all need to hear it. And we, we should all pay attention to that and respond accordingly. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, companies are strong-arming their customers to support abortion, canceling customers for their political views, making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models, no government agency, institution, or company is allowed to be just what it is and focus on fulfilling the tasks that it was made to fulfill. A beer company can't just make beer anymore. Their primary concern is not with brewing and distributing beer, but with showing their support of the left's political and cultural agenda. Public Square is aware of this problem and offers a new solution. Public Square is an app and a website where you can get connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, freedom, and family. Public Square also offers discounts to many high-quality businesses on the platform so that you can actually have an incentive to spend money with companies that don't hate you. So it's a win-win situation there. Whether you're looking for a new athletic uh, clothing that knows what a woman is or a banking partner that you can count on or simply a new restaurant in your area that won't lecture you about your political views as you're trying to enjoy a meal with your family, well, then you got to head over to publicsq.com. Public Square is free to join as a consumer or a business owner. You can get started at publicsq.com or download their app today. That's publicsq.com. So there was a story told at, the, uh, at a House Judiciary um, Committee meeting yesterday that I think everyone needs to hear. And you've probably heard me mention it a time or two. But uh, when we talk about miscarriages of justice, we talk about the federal government, federal agencies being weaponized against their political opponents. Um, there are some really egregious examples of this that we that we discuss, uh, many of them targeting Donald Trump. But this story, I think, is arguably worse than all of that. This is Daily Wire uh, reporting, acquitted Catholic pro-life activist Mark Houck in front of a House Judiciary uh, Committee on Tuesday revisited the moment when federal and state law enforcement authorities raided his home with guns last year on accusations that he blocked others from entering an abortion clinic. Hauk, who leads a nonprofit group that counsels women outside of abortion clinics in Philadelphia, uh, testified in front of the subcommittee members during a hearing to revisit the implications of the FACE Act, which is a federal law prohibiting people from blocking others from entering abortion clinics, and also to examine recent attacks on pregnancy centers, pro-life facilities, and the Biden administration's use of the federal statute. 
Now, Hauck was acquitted in January after federal authorities threatened him with 11 years in prison for allegedly violating the FACE Act, a federal crime making it illegal to injure, intimidate, or interfere with anyone due to their status as a reproductive health care provider. Months before a jury acquitted the pro-life activist, FBI agents in 15 vehicles raided his residence, quickly surrounded the house, began pounding on the door and demanding they open up. Um, rather than reading more from this, let's, let's listen to this testimony. And I want to start with this, which is um, Hauk describing the incident outside of the abortion facility, the, the abortion clinic, the abortuary, as he calls it, which I think that's the best, best term for it. So describing the incident that, that eventually led to 15 FBI vehicles pulling up on his property, guns drawn, dragged out of the house, you know, early in the morning. Um, but here is what actually happened. Listen. I want to bring you to October uh, 13th, 2021, where I was with my son, 12-year-old son, praying in front of an abortuary in Philadelphia. On that day, uh, a couple women walked out of the facility. I began to offer them literature, as I always do, with compassion, love, and great respect. In fact, I was 50 feet away from the entrance of the building. I proceeded to walk with those women across the street, making me about 100 feet away from the entrance to the building, to a crisis pregnancy center, pregnancy resource center, which is about six feet away from me. At that time, an escort in the building decided to run over impede my progress and get in the way of me ministering and talking to the women that had left Planned Parenthood, 12th and Locust Streets in Philadelphia. At that point, we exchanged some words. We went back to where we were praying, and I continued to pray with my 12-year-old son. About 20 minutes later, the escort, his name is Bruce Love. I've known him for years. I've known him for 20 years. Came out of the building. He made a direct line towards my son, stood right next to my son, Again, we're about 50 feet from the entrance to the building. Stood right next to my 12-year-old boy who was a little intimidated and scared by this. I asked him if he could please give him some space. He did not. He has a right to be there. We just continued to pray. He continued to talk to me and offer insults to me, which, of course, he's done before, and it was never a problem for me, and I just didn't listen to it. But then he started to begin to talk to my son. Now, he's talked to my son before. In fact, I believe he taught my son the F word. I'm a homeschool dad, and that's the reality of it. Nonetheless, he begins to talk to my son and badger my son and starts telling my son how evil his father is and how, how his father doesn't want to help women. I ex- instructed him to step away and to go back to where he normally stands in front of the building, which he did not. He continued to badger my son. After a repeated request not to comply, uh, not, not to stand next to my son, I escorted him back to where he normally stands, which he did comply. I turned around to face my son and go back to pray, and uh, he turned around and began to badger my son again. At that point, I became a dad on the street, concerned for my son. I did push the man. He did fall down. Okay, so... That's it. That's what happened. He was being a protective dad. He was just being a, a normal dad. He's being a good dad. And he shoved a jerk who was harassing his son. So what? Um, this guy, well, first of all, this guy clearly deserved it. You go up and you start harassing a 12-year-old boy with his dad standing right there. Uh, you, you know, getting, getting shoved. You should be, you're lucky to get off just with a shove. Okay, it could be a lot worse than that. Um, but even if you are somehow of the opinion that Mark Hauke overreacted and should have been a little bit nicer to the man that was cussing out his 12-year-old son, is this, is this, do we need federal agent? Is this a federal crime? Is this something that, that rises to that level? And by the way, this dynamic here is very, very common, okay? So if you're not familiar with pro-life activism, you haven't been around pro-life activists, and you get your impression of them from the media, and I would hope that you'd be smart enough to know that you can't trust that impression. But if that is where you get it, then 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 you probably imagine um, that usually the situation is re- reversed. Because in this case, Mark Hauk and his son, they're there peacefully and quietly, and they're praying. And then you've got this belligerent moron, this Bruce Love guy, who's the, uh, the, the clinic, and, and, and volunteer escort. And what that means is that he... His whole job that many of these people do for free is they, they go up and they show up on Saturday mornings and early mornings at abortion clinics and they escort women 
into the abortion clinic. And their whole job is to make sure that those women are not exposed to any kind of literature or any conversations or any information that will tell them more about what they're going to do. Because that's all that, you know, on the other end, we have the sidewalk counselors, pro-life sidewalk counselors. All they want to do is uh, they're not running up and screaming at the women. They're not cussing them out. They're not telling them you're burning hell. All they want to do is provide them with information. Like, okay, this is what an abortion is. This is what you're about to do. Here's information about that. And here, here are other, there are other options. So we want to, they want to give information and inform them of their other options. The clinic doesn't want that. The clinic doesn't want any of that. They want these women coming in uh, scared and ignorant and thinking that they have no other choice, that they have to do it, right? They want them scared, ignorant, and helpless. And the clinic escorts are there to assist in that. Now, why would someone volunteer their time to this? You know, volunteer your time, you know, on a Saturday morning to escorting women into an abortion clinic to kill their babies. You're volunteering your time to make sure that women are, are not informed about these kinds of decisions. This just shows you the fact that they, that somebody like this other guy, that they're, they're that passionate about abortion just shows you how evil they are. And so it shouldn't surprise you to learn that this is normally the way that it goes. The pro-life uh, activists who are on the scene at these uh, abortion clinics, vast majority of cases, they are peaceful, they are quiet, they are respectful. Okay, I've been around a lot of these people all over the country. And this is, in almost every case, peaceful, quiet, respectful, prayerful. The belligerence, the violence, the aggressiveness is almost always coming from the other side. And that's what happened here. And that led to, the, uh, to eventually the FBI getting involved. But before the FBI got involved, another important thing to, to keep in mind is that local prosecutors and Philadelphia, not exactly a friendly environment for pro-lifers. Uh, the, the DA, I'm not sure who was the DA at the time, but we can assume not someone who's on the same side ideologically as pro-life activists. And, but they, they found that there were, there's, they weren't going to, they did, they were not going to file any charges. They weren't going to press charges because they didn't see that there were any charges to press. Um, sometime later, the feds came back around and decided they wanted to get involved. And that's what led to uh, this. On September 23rd, my home was raided by 10 unmarked and marked units, state troopers, federal law enforcement personnel. I had five federal agents on my doorstep at 6.30 in the morning with long guns pointed at me and my seven children. They banged on the door and they said, open up. They did not even declare who they were that day. They didn't even ask me, uh, could you please open the door with the FBI? They just said, open up. I went to the door, I was up. I said, who is it? They said, it's the FBI, open up. So I opened up the door peacefully. I said, please stay calm, I have seven babies in here. They pointed M16 guns at me and my wife. My wife comes down and says, uh, do you have a warrant for his arrest? They said, we're taking him with or without a warrant. My wife said, you can't do that. That's kidnapping. We proceeded to go into a four and a half month trial uh, that we, as you know, and, and have said uh, previously that we were acquitted of. But I was facing 11 years in prison and I had every uh, prospect in my heart that I would be in federal prison away from my several, seven children. Um, yeah, they want, this is what Biden wanted. Biden, Biden, it didn't work out for him, but uh, thank God, didn't work out for Biden. But what he wanted was this guy hauled away in handcuffs in front of his terrified children. He got that part of it. Uh, and then he wanted him in prison for a decade. He wanted to take this man away from his kids for a decade because he shoved, because he shoved someone who was accosting his 12-year-old son. Um, as I said at the beginning, there are many examples of miscarriages of justice, of uh, government agencies being weaponized against political opponents. We talk, we talk a lot about, about the cases that involve Trump, and for good reason. However, um, this is one of the worst cases, and this man's name should be well known. I mean, this should be like a household name uh, among uh, conservatives. Um, and it is a, potentially a very terrifying glimpse into the future. Because it's not like they're done. You know, it didn't, it didn't work out. They weren't able to, to, to get him in prison for 11 years like they wanted to. But um, 
They're not going to stop. And remember, they, they went looking for this case. Okay, it happened. The local prosecutor said, we're not going to press charges. Everybody moved on. As far as we know, everyone kind of moved on. And months and months later, the, the Biden administration went looking. It's like, let's find somebody who we can make an example of under this FACE Act thing. And they, and they found him. And by the way, the fact that they were looking, they were looking to send a message again, to pro-lifers, you know, to intimidate them, trying to make an example out of somebody. And the fact that they had to choose Mark Houck only goes to show how peaceful uh, and, um, you know, how, how peaceful pro-lifers always are. Because from what the media tells us, you, you would think that there'd be many examples of pro-lifers violating the FACE Act and, you know, uh, running into the abortion clinics and causing a scene and all the rest of it. The fact that they had to go for him, that this was the case they had to try, they had to, uh, they had to, they had to try, uh, I think shows you, shows you everything. All right. John Fetterman is out of the hospital, but his brain is, uh, is not. I mean, his brain is still somewhere else. It's not in his head. His brain is hooked up to tubes and wires somewhere. Here he is yesterday during uh, a hearing trying to ask a question, and he's having a lot of trouble with it. Let's listen. Is, is it staggering? Is it a staggering response responsibility that, a, the, that the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have I mean, like and, and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no matter by, by how, you know. So it's, it's, you know, isn't it appropriate that the, those kinds of, the, this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going? Or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank, regardless of how, how there's, their conduct is? You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for SNAP, you know, for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, requirements. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank you, with billions of your bank? Because they seem to be more pre preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about protecting the tax, the tax papers, you know, that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it. Sure. I can't even, that's, that's hard to watch. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I can only say that I feel bad for, I'm not sure who was being questioned there exactly, but whoever it was, I feel bad for that person that you're put on the spot and you, because the guy being questioned, he's not sure what the question is. Or if it's been asked yet, it is like no idea. He's got to try to make sense of it. You got Fetterman babbling incoherently and then pausing. And the other guy like, uh, I, what? Yes? I'll say yes. I don't know. Um, this is, there are many signs of the decline of Western civilization, but this is one of them. When you, when you, when you have people like this who, who don't have functioning brains, at highest levels of government. And the fact that it's known, right? The fact that we know it makes all the difference. I mean, there, there, there have probably been, in fact, we can be pretty certain that there have been uh, politicians before that have had brain damage or have been senile and were still in office. But in this case, it's like we, it's out in the open. We all know it. And it's not just Fetterman. It's Fetterman. Uh, it's uh, Biden. Diane Feinstein's another one. They just rolled. They they uh, rolled her back and and um, back to Capitol Hill a couple days ago. And she's uh, you know she was in the hospital and she was out and she's like in her late 80s, I think. And she's completely gone. I mean, she's a vegetable. And there was an interview she did with with uh, one of these media outlets where she did. It became apparent that she didn't know that she'd been gone for 10 weeks. She thought that she'd been here the whole time voting on legislation. Um, 
And that's one that, you know, the, on the left, they're actually very upset about that. And they want her to resign. And they want her to resign because they know they, they'll replace her with someone who's a lot younger and even more leftist than she is. So the, it was, politically, the best thing politically is in that particular case for her to just stay where she is. Because whoever they bring in after her will be worse. But even so, uh, the fact that we have people at the highest levels of government who are in charge of things, the ones pulling the strings, and they are and they are not mentally present at all, is uh, not a good sign, to say the least. Speaking of not being mentally present, let's listen to Kamala Harris try to engage uh, or pretend to engage with the criticisms of gender ideology. And this is kind of interesting because gender ideology, that's a, that's a term that I use all the time. It's a term that people on the right will use. Um, you, know, you can kind of use it interchangeably with trans ideology, gender ideology, it's the same kind of thing. Um, you, don't, you don't normally hear anyone on the left use the term gender ideology, um, but Kamala Harris does, and let's listen to what she says about it. And most recently, they even want to eliminate classes that teach, quote, gender ideology. Well, so... What are we talking about here? Classes that teach women's history? Women's equality? The study of the fact that there are still only 25 women in the United States Senate in a body of 100? Uh, so either she's incredibly stupid and, and doesn't understand what gender ideology is and what it refers to, and she somehow has missed the, the plot here completely, or this is a, a really bad attempt at a straw man, or, or you know, probably some combination of both, of both of those things. But to clarify, for the benefit of Kamala Harris, uh, no, that that is not what gender ideology means. That is not what gender gender ideology has nothing to do with that. Actually, it is because of gender ideology that it doesn't make any sense to teach kids about women, quote unquote, women's rights and women's issues and uh, the great female pioneers of history and all that. It's because of gender ideology is what makes those conversations irrelevant. Because gender ideology erases the existence of women. It erases the distinction between men and women. So you you can actually, there's a lot more you can do in the realm that she's talking about if you get rid of gender ideology. I'm explaining this. I'm not sure if she needs it explained or not. Um, it's, it's, it's always a, a game of trying to figure out, is this, is, this, uh, is this person stupid or are they just pretending to be? And as I said, with Kamala Harris, it probably is very often kind of both. NBC News has this uh, article. New York City police are seeking the public's help as it searches for a man suspected of defacing two LGBTQ pride flags. The unidentified man... Um, entered a location in Manhattan's Tony Upper West Side neighborhood and defecated on one of the rainbow pride flags and then took a second pride flag and wiped his backside with it, according to a statement released Saturday by the NYPD. So he, uh, he defecated on one of the flags, and then you, there was a second one there that he used uh, essentially as toilet paper. The aggravated harassment, which reportedly took place on the morning of April 15th, is being investigated by the uh, police department's hate crime task force. Aggravated harassment. Well, who is he harassing? The, fl- the flag itself is harassing the pride flag? While no video surveillance of the actual incident was released to the public, the New York Post obtained and published a video that appeared to show the same unidentified identified man uh, relieving himself on pride flags located in the dining shed of a restaurant located at the same Upper Side restaurant where police said the incident took place. So is that, are those additional pride flags that he was relieving himself on? Or are, they, are, they, are we talking about the same ones? It's not exactly clear to me. But my only point is, uh, I, I don't know what the problem is here. You know, it's a homeless guy, you know, took a dump on a pride flag. But he, this really, he was a lovable street performer. This was an unhoused man, a lovable street performer, and, and, we, we should be defending him. Where is AOC on this one? We're going to try to persecute this unhoused street performer, just like Jordan Neely. I want, I want to know where AOC is on this one, defending this guy. But in his case, though, you know, she'd be perfectly fine with this guy going, going to prison for 25 years. Absolutely. 
You defaced a pride flag. You go to jail for 25 years. This is not going to be one of those cases where they uh, where they finally arrest him and, and then let him go and they don't charge. They'll, they'll, they're going to come down on him. He's going to go to prison. However, if you're Jordan Neely and uh, rather than defacing pride flags, you're doing things that are a lot less serious, like, you know, uh, punching old ladies in the head and trying to kidnap seven-year-olds and trying to throw people on the train tracks and harassing and threatening whole train loads of people. Well, then that's, uh, yeah, that's, those are all minor violations, of course. All right, let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. The one-year anniversary of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned is coming up, and since then, the left has completely lost their mind. Pro-life efforts, which are more important now than ever, ever are booming. Uh, you heard that right. Despite the narrative, pro-lifers didn't go away. They have only increased in number. 40 Days for Life is changing hearts and minds in the most blue pro-abortion states. They've had a record number of locations since Roe was overturned, and uh, they've grown in both volunteers and locations. Again, that's ever since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. With about 1 million volunteers in 1,500 cities, they hold peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities. This success has come with new unwanted attention from the federal government and the DOJ in regards to free speech. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one is in better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in each state in a post-Roe America. You can help them fight the ongoing legal battles of protecting free speech for their volunteers, including Mark Houck, uh, the 40 Days for Life volunteer who had his house raided by the FBI that we talked about today. You can help them defend free speech by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount at 40daysforlife.com. That's 40daysforlife.com. H.L. Mills says, I wish it were easier to buy only at places that didn't do the pride crap, but even Walmart has a pride display in June. Mom and pop stores are falling by the wayside. It's taking a lot more of an effort not to support these organizations, but I'm making an effort. Um, yeah, that's that's true. And when it comes to the big box retailers, it probably would be difficult to find one that doesn't um, at least throw a, you know, doesn't, doesn't do some kind of pride month, the virtue signaling thing. They all, they, all, uh, they all do something. But that's why we have to, again, be strategic, and you pick your targets. And um, maybe, maybe one target is target, but you pick, you, you pick something, and you make an example out of that. Um, and, it, and that means that there are going to be a whole lot of other companies that did things that are the same or maybe even worse. But we know that we, can't, you know, we, we, we cannot boycott every company. That's just that's not something that we can do. It won't happen. And so we can choose either. We can throw up our hands in that case and say, well, we can't do anything. doesn't matter. Give up. Or we could be targeted and intentional and strategic about the companies we decide to um, boycott. And I think the target is should be uh, considered very eligible for that spot, given that what they're doing is um, is far more egregious than some of the other virtue signaling that we that we see go on. Colton says, whenever I try and do something for a holiday, my wife ends up disliking what I do anyways. So I just let her do it the way she wants. And uh, so that way I'm not working on something that she'll just change to be her way anyway. Well, that's why it's best to stick with physical gifts. You know, I think um, that was, that was another question I had is daily cancellation yesterday. We were talking about these uh, videos posted by this woman who's upset that her husband hadn't done enough to plan a big uh, Mother's Day dinner or whatever. Um, I did have the same kind of question of like, do you, do you really expect, you want your husband to plan events for you? My wife would never, that's, that's if I volunteered and I said, maybe Christmas is coming up. I said, let me plan, let me plan all the Christmas stuff this year. I'll take, I'll take over. Uh, she would never in a million years trust me to do that. And she shouldn't. So, it, it makes the most sense. You let the women plan things. They're better at that sort of thing anyway. As men, just stick with physical gifts. Go out and buy her something, like a physical thing, and give it to her. And that's all you have to do. Um, Secret Squirrel says, I think it's possible to have a discussion surrounding the ethics of using sex to market inherently non-sexual products without launching a marketing campaign, wagging your finger at consumers for wanting that and absolving yourself for using that strategy in the first place. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And this was a this was something I heard from some conservatives yesterday about the uh, the Miller Lite ad campaign now, where they're um, 
lecturing beer companies and beer consumers for in the past, you know, using uh, women in bikinis and that sort of thing to market the products. So really, the, the lecture is targeted at beer, uh, you know, ostensibly at the beer companies, but also at the consumers who enjoyed those advertisements and bought, you know, and uh, purchased uh, beer from those companies because of them. Um, and what I, I did hear this from, from some conservatives saying, well, you know, this, but this is good. This is not a woke thing uh, because we don't want to objectify women. And this was like overly sexualized stuff in the first place. And we're supposed to be opposed to that. And so uh, why is this woke? It's not a woke thing. Well, but it is, it is woke. Because for one thing, they're framing this all. This is not, this is, this is not Miller Lite defending you know, human dignity or something like that. This was all framed in this kind of you go girl feminist mentality that also doesn't make any sense. Like when the left does this, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's incoherent and inconsistent because as I, as I said yesterday, uh, yeah, they have a problem with bikini. They don't like bikini models uh, being involved in any kind of advertisements. They don't want that. But they'll be the first to say that OnlyFans Women on OnlyFans, that, that's empowering. Quote, unquote, sex workers, empowering. So it's, a, um, it's inconsistent and it's incoherent. Uh, but if we could all agree that we're not going to engage in sexual, uh, and we're, not going, we're not going to objectify people sexually, if, you know, if, we, if we could agree with that, and that includes like pornography is bad, women shouldn't be doing OnlyFans, all the rest of it. If that's what we're all agreeing, then great. But, but I don't think we agree on that. And uh, Melvigan says, my heart breaks for that poor husband whose wife put him on blast like that in front of the whole world. He deserves so much better. I truly hope he divorces her and gives their children a stepmother whose first priority is not salivating for pity on TikTok. Gross. I agreed with you up until the divorce part. You know, I don't think we want to encourage people to get divorced. I think you want to encourage that. This is a, a man who needs to stand up for himself. And I get the impression that he hasn't, that he's allowed himself to be, you know, walked over. So he needs to put his foot down and stand up for himself and communicate to his wife that this is totally inappropriate behavior. It is not acceptable. Okay, you're not going to go on the Internet and take our private business and use it as content for the public um, and, and throwing me under the bus in the first place so that you can use me as a pedestal to elevate yourself in front of the world like that is not going to happen. He needs to have that conversation, but, uh, but you don't want to give up on the marriage either. Finally, Jerry May says, Matt Walsh and others created a monster. Today, transgenderism is growing by leaps and bounds. If you tell people they can't, they'll prove they can. The war on alcohol, epic failure. The war on drugs, epic failure. The war on guns, epic failure. The war on LGBTQ, epic failure. Yeah, well, this is, if, if you are not aware at all, I mean, if you just woke up yesterday, if you've been in a cave all this time, then maybe this criticism makes sense. But uh, if you uh, have, have been even slightly conscious and aware over the past several decades, then you would know that this uh, gender ideology, you know, exploded onto the mainstream, but it didn't, it didn't originate there, okay? It existed. These were ideas and concepts that people came up with decades ago, and conservatives did almost nothing to oppose it. We, we ignored it, and we ignored it, and we ignored it, and we ignored it, um, until one day we couldn't ignore it anymore, but we're way behind the eight ball on the issue. That's usually the way these things go. Father's Day is uh, often treated as a bit of an afterthought, but you can never start thinking about it too early. And, and a gift of Jeremy's razors is dual purpose. Not only are you helping your dad look his best each day, you're also kicking woke out of his bathroom. There's no other razor that can do that, only Jeremy's razors. Shaving isn't just about grooming. It's about embracing masculinity and feeling like a real man. Save 30% off on Jeremy's razors, select bundles and razor starter sets. As part of our Father's Day sale, you can go to jeremysrazors.com today and help dad kick woke out of his bathroom. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we have another viral TikTok video, which has garnered millions of views, thousands of comments, lots of discussion. It's the kind of video that on first blush, you might think that I would hate, and I sort of do, but it's not all bad. Um, here we have a, a Gen Z or a Zoomer by the name of Kat complaining about how much harder it is for young people today than it was for her parents and her grandparents' generation. And this message has, as you might expect, resonated quite a bit with her fellow Gen Zers on TikTok. Um, let's listen to some of this. 
I'm about to graduate in May. A lot of the conversations I've been having with my parents lately have been surrounding what I'm going to do when I graduate, where I'm going to go. So my mom works for a company that's just like huge. And she said something to me yesterday that makes a lot of sense in regards to why it's so hard to find a job or even to find a salary right now that would be livable as someone who's like fresh out of college. She said that a lot of the people who are in charge of hiring there commonly say things like college grads expect way too much or I didn't have that much when I graduated. Then she says, yeah, when I first started, I made $36,000. And I was like, $36,000 today or $36,000 in 1980? So she made $36,000 starting off entry-level bank teller in 1980. Right now, out of college, I want to make $24 an hour. That would put me at $50,000 a year, which is equivalent to having a $16,500 salary in 1982. So I did some research. The average college grad in 2022 was making $55,260. In 1982, the average college grad was making $102,200 right out of college. So today, $26.50 an hour is 1982's $49 an hour. So this sentiment being held by boomers of, oh, well, they're just expecting too much. I just don't think they know what numbers they're talking about. Like, I think in their head, they're like, oh, I made $36,000 in 1980 and you're asking for $50,000 now? So then I dug a little deeper, started looking at housing, apartments. In 2022, the median selling price for a single family house was $507,800. In 1980, that same price is equivalent to today's $223,202. In 2022, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment was $1,900. In 1982, that same number was equivalent to today's $737. Like, I actually think that boomers just can't conceptualize how vastly different these numbers are. Okay, so we'll pause it here to acknowledge that she's basically correct about everything that she said so far. There, there's simply no denying that money had more value, more purchasing power 40 years ago than it does today. Jobs generally paid more when measured in today's dollars, and things didn't cost as much. Um, in fact, by nearly every conceivable measure, economically, societally, culturally, the boomers inherited a better country than they'll leave behind for their children. Um, they inherited prosperity. They leave stagnation and decline and debt and bankruptcy. They inherited a vibrant and patriotic culture. They leave us one that is rotten and degenerate. They inherited strong nuclear families, and uh, they leave behind a long, sad trail of divorce and broken homes. As a generation... They failed to do the one single thing that every generation is supposed to do, which is to create a better world for their children. It doesn't have to be a utopia. It will never be that. But it should be better. A generation's only legacy is the country it leaves behind. And judging by that one and only real metric, the boomers have catastrophically failed. And they're not done either. They're still clinging to their positions of leadership in D.C. and media and corporate America. Um, they've made for some of the worst political leaders this country has ever seen and they refuse to go away. They refuse to ride off into the sunset and let us clean up the mess. That, and and, and this, this, is, this is a problem. It's all absolutely true. There's no getting around it. Boomers generally don't take this kind of criticism well, well but um, that doesn't stop them from complaining bitterly about millennials and Gen Z. What they like to ignore or maybe have somehow forgotten is that millennials and Gen Z are their children and grandchildren. That's all part of their legacy. The millennial generation, my generation, we didn't sprout from the ground randomly like fungus. We didn't fall out of the sky like snowflakes. We, we were conceived and, and birthed and raised, and in many cases, raised poorly. In fact, raised may be an, an overstatement. Many millennials were less raised than they were merely sustained with food and toys and television and then sent out into the world with no moral or spiritual formation whatsoever. Now, I'm speaking in generalizations, of course, but they are accurate generalizations. And anyway, millennials uh, fall victim to generalizations all the time. So perhaps it's time for some other generations to get a dose of that medicine. I think it's, it's important to speak about the cataclysmic failures of the boomer generation and to hold them accountable for instilling in millennials every negative trait that they now so eagerly complain about. And that's important to point out, not to simply cast blame, but because it's, it's, not, it's not just or honest to give your children a destroyed culture a bankrupted country, and then immediately blame them for it. You know, if we're ever going to break this cycle and really combat the diseases of entitlement and materialism and selfishness, then we have to inspect the origins of the problem. Of course, the boomers no more created selfishness than did millennials or than did Gen Z, but they did create a culture that encourages and breeds this stuff. 
They created this culture by prioritizing material wealth and personal comfort and rapid gratification over everything, basically. They relied on the schools in Hollywood to take charge of their kids while they amassed the kind of financial security their kids will never know. If a child is going to grow to be unselfish, he must learn to be a part of something bigger than himself, something that requires effort and self-denial and active sacrificial love. A strong nuclear family is such a thing. The church is such a thing. But the boomers, who sent the divorce rate skyrocketing into the stars, largely failed to give their kids the necessary foundation of a nuclear family. And they certainly didn't invest their kids in the church or, or um, faith or spirituality. Entertainment and material possessions served as replacements for both of those things. But entertainment and material possessions are self-serving by design. They will not help a child come out of himself. They will only send him spiraling deeper and deeper into the abyss of his own ego. Now, I have at this point strayed rather far from the point that the girl on TikTok was trying to make, but it's all related, and these are all valid points, but... Um, from there, she kind of goes somewhat off the rails. So let's keep listening. And I think boomers just have such a hard time conceptualizing this because they never had to fight for jobs. They were at the upswing of technology. They were at the upswing of big business. Capitalism was booming. And then they look at us and they're thinking, entitled. And I'm not saying anyone's like in the right or in the wrong. It's not their fault. Like they just don't know. Literally just don't know what the f I'm going to do when I graduate. And anytime I talk to my parents, both of which are boomers, they're like, Stop having such high expectations. Also, I don't want to see any comments about, well, you should have majored in computer science or you should have majored in medicine. I think that if you go to college, you deserve to be able to make enough to live comfortably. I think if you don't go to college, you should be able to make enough to live comfortably. Regardless your major, regardless if you chose to go to college or not, you deserve to live comfortably. So anyone who says that your path to success should have looked differently, they're probably just not able to conceptualize the reality of today's job market and the reality of how much it costs to go to school nowadays. Okay, we were doing so well, but then the Gen Z-itis kicked in and she started babbling about what she deserves. Now, I, I honestly don't know what a statement like, I deserve to live comfortably means. To deserve something is to earn it. It's to be worthy of it. Are we all worthy of a comfortable life? Have we earned it just by simply existing? And even if we have, even if we do all deserve comfort, whatever that means, what good does it do for you? To, to just talk about how you deserve it. You can cry all you want about what you think you deserve, but to quote Clint Eastwood in, in Unforgiven and also uh, Snoop from The Wire, deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. Now, maybe we all deserve to skip through fields of daffodils while gumdrops fall from the sky, but that's not what life has presented us, okay? That's, that's not the reality. So maybe you deserve something other than the reality? I don't, I don't know what that means. You, you can't manifest what you think you deserve just by talking about it, and making demands to the universe. So for all the younger people who lament the state of things, and the fact that in many ways it would have been easier to have been, to have been born 40 years ago, uh, we might just put it this way. You're right. You get a raw deal. It's not fair. Um, I don't think you deserve a comfortable life necessarily. Life is simply an uncomfortable thing much of the time. But you do deserve a better country and a better culture and a better economy than the one that you're getting. Okay, now what? We've established that, okay? It's like, it shouldn't be this way. This should, this should not be the culture that you are inheriting. It's, it shouldn't be. But, okay, what's your next move? What, what do you do now? The problem with people in the younger generations is that they, they correctly diagnose many of these issues and then they use that diagnosis as an excuse to give up before the game even starts. They decide not to put in the effort at work. They decide not to work hard. They decide to essentially drop out of the dating scene and give up on romantic relationships and marriage and family and everything. They retreat behind phones and screens. And this is just not the way to solve any of these problems. It's the same kind of criticism that I have of the red pill manosphere types who correctly point out all the ways the system is stacked against men, but then they offer no real solution except for a full-scale retreat, recommending that men give up on family life, marriage, legacy, their own bloodline. That's not a strategy. That's despair. And you can't give in to despair, especially at a, at a young age. So, yes, you may graduate from college and realize that you wasted a lot of time and money on a useless degree. Um, 
you got scammed into going to college when you really didn't need to go, and you, you, you plunged yourself into debt for something that might not do you any good at all. That's also really unfair. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. Uh, you may struggle to attain financial security. You may not be able to afford a house or many of the things that your parents could afford at your age. All of that may be the case. These are the obstacles that you face. Every generation has its own. Okay, It's not perfect for anybody. And these are yours. The goal is to succeed and thrive in spite of them. That must be the goal. Otherwise, there is no point. You have to get to work either way. And obsessing over how unfair everything is and how you aren't being handed what you think you deserve will not accomplish anything. You have to work for it one way or another. Otherwise, you are today canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you uh, tomorrow. Godspeed.